We're going to hand over now to Shani Baker from LMC Law, and she's a very wise friend of the LMC, been a friend for a long time, and gives us great legal advice. So listen to her while she shares an update on employment law um, to support your staff, but um, also to support what you need as an employee, because I sometimes get the feeling that um, practice managers really look after their staff, but don't look after themselves in the same way. So I would just say, listen to this sort of on two fronts, and uh, Michelle is going to sort of host this one. So put any cues, um, any, any Q&As you've got in the Q&A box for Shani, and, um, and we'll just take half an hour um, to listen to what she said and talk through a few scenarios that we've had um, within um, the organisation. Thank you, Shani. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you, Louise. Thank you. Um, um, good morning, everyone. Um, this is going to be a kind of whistle-stop tour. We've only got half an hour. So what we've done is we've kind of picked on the most topical issues that we think might be of interest or, or, or things that you feel that you, you have to tackle now. Um, but before we do anything, let's move on to the first slide. Um, Thank, um, I, actually, there was a Brexit slide. Yes, that's the one. I couldn't see the, the I couldn't see the words. Um, yes, Brexit. Um, because of COVID and everything else, everyone forgot that we, we have probably now Brexited finally. Um, but what does that mean for employment law? Well, actually, not nothing. Um, I think there is has been so much going on that nobody in government has touched any of the EU employment law um, that we adopted from Europe into our own national legislation. And that's stuff like working time directive, it's stuff like 2P, transfer um, of undertaken, undertakings for protection of employment legislation. All of that is staying. Um, and all that the government have done is just stick um, retained um, you know, UK law or retained EU law into our national legislation. So there's no great rush to, to understand anything other than the fact we are stuck with what we're stuck with for the moment. Next slide. But on that note, I think because of COVID and everything that happened last year, um, we thought it would be a really good idea just to have a quick look at some of the um, employment law updates that came into play last year. And that was last, I think, January, February time. Um, and I put these on the slides and hopefully the slides will be available to you. But quickly, it's just a recap of parental bereavement, leave and pay. So basically that says exactly what it says. Um, all employed parents have a right to two weeks leave if they lose a child. Um, under the age of 18, or they suffer a stillbirth from 24 weeks of pregnancy. Just to make it a bit easier, I've also put the criteria on the slide. Um, so how do you qualify for that? Um, there you have it in bullet point four. Obviously, the person has to be bereaved, have to have been employed continuously for 26 weeks. Um, you had to have been entitled to, to be in employment at the end of the relevant week. The person's weekly earnings are not less than the minimum wage, shouldn't be actually, and the person has to establish the parent-guardian relationship. And so if you establish those criteria, um, they will be entitled to the parental bereavement leave and pay. Next slide. Following on, um, the next one's quite important actually. Um, a lot of employers, they do make offers of employment and sometimes the actual contract of employment doesn't come until quite some time afterwards. 
What the employment law update of last year did was to say, at the very least, if you're making an offer of employment to somebody, then all employees will be entitled to a written statement of employment from day one. So that doesn't necessarily mean you have to hand them the full employment contract on day one, but they will have to have a statement of some kind, which might be in the offer letter, actually, um, or it could follow up. Um, stating the hours of work and days, paid leave, if they do get paid leave, any other benefits, any probationary period should be referred to, and any details of any training that they might be entitled to. But it's basically a statement setting out the key elements of the employment. Uh, the other one that was quite interesting was agency workers. All agency workers will be entitled to the same rates of pay as permanent workers and will require a document setting out the key information regarding their engagement. I think most of this you're probably already doing anyway, but it was worth a recap, just to be, just to be clear. Next slide. I think this is the nitty gritty of, of why we're here today. Throughout the last um, year, we have had um, a huge number of queries about COVID and COVID related issues. Um, when we first went into lockdown, it was all about um, employment law and whether, you know, what, what employers should be doing with people that had to self-isolate or that had to stay at home because, and, and isolate because someone in their family um, um, had COVID, etc. And every month, as things have changed, we've had different types of queries come through. So the latest ones, now we're coming out of, hopefully, um, you know, the, the stringent rules around lockdown have been these. What if an employee refuses to take the vaccine? And this has caused some angst because there are some anti-vaxxers out there. There are people that don't wish to partake in um, having the vaccination. Can you as an employer, particularly in healthcare, force them? The answer is no. Having the vaccine is not mandatory. Um, it's not embedded in the law, not as yet. I think the rationale behind that is because nobody quite knows whether or not it works properly, um, or it's 100% effective. But at the moment, as things stand, you cannot force your employees to take the vaccine. What do you do then if you have somebody that's exposed to patients in your practice and they're saying, no, I'm really sorry, I'm not going to have this vaccine. Well, as an employer, you're going to have to think about moving them um, to less exposed settings. What that means is that you've got to protect them and try and find um, another way around protecting them. Now, I'm, I'm saying that because as an employer, it is your statutory duty to make sure that you keep your employees safe. So even though it's a bit bonkers, isn't it? I mean, the best way of keeping the employee safe would be um, uh, to, to have the employee take the vaccine. But if they don't, the onus is still on you as the employer to keep them safe. And you need to think about having a risk assessment. I think someone had something up on chat. Is that right? We're just getting some few questions coming in. I think what's interesting when you think about the COVID vaccine, there are a number of other vaccine, vaccinations and immunisations that members of staff need to have. Um, and I suspect it will be the same principles for those as it has been with the COVID vaccine. Is that the case? 
Absolutely correct, Michelle. That, that's absolutely right. You're not going to force them to have the flu vaccination, for example, or, or any other vaccination. So it's the same, it's the same principle here. Um, I think somebody did ask on chat about um, what about GP partners, I believe. I'm, I'm not actually monitoring chat, but if we do have a question, just yeah. somebody, yeah. Um, yeah, we've had that issue as well, unfortunately. Um, we have had a practice um, in another locality, in another area, um, where a GP partner refused to be vaccinated and refused to wear a mask as well. I'll come on to that in a minute about masks. Um, nothing the partners could do, actually. Um, you know, she flatly refused that she wasn't going to have the vaccination and actually went quite public on it. So at the moment, it's that the way things stand, if it's a salaried GP and obviously an employee, it's the same rule. You cannot force the individual um, to have the vaccination. So it means looking at their job role and seeing how, within reason, you can keep them as safe as possible. Um, and one of those is obviously wearing a mask, but we'll come on to the mask issue in a minute. The, we've had quite a few queries since borders have been opening up in various countries about what happens if an employee travels to a country. So, right, great, you know, you can get on a plane now, um, within reason, and you might be able to travel to a country that's green, um, potentially even amber. Then while the employee's on holiday, um, the country becomes red during, during that holiday. And that means that the employee, if and when they make it back, will have to self-isolate. What does the employer do? How is that managed? We very strongly advise at this stage that you get a policy in place now. Don't deal with it when it happens because that will be difficult. What you want to be able to do is to place the decision about whether someone goes away or not on the employee, not place the onus on yourselves as employers as to what you do when they have to self-isolate. So getting a policy in place is a good idea at this point in time. Um, if an employee comes back and they have to self-isolate, um, again, this should be part of your policy. Where it is possible that they are able to fulfill their job function by working from home, then they should be permitted to work from home. Um, that's not an issue. Um, we got a question yesterday that said, well, well what about some employees? They come back and um, they can't work from home. Their job is such that they need to be in. Again, it comes back to the policy. That's why I think it's quite an important um, uh, issue to address before this starts to happen. So that if an employee decides that they are going to take the risk and they are going to travel, it is abundantly clear from the outset how the employer is going to deal with the issue of, of self-isolation should it arise. Sorry, um, there are lots of questions flooding in. I'm going to just chip in. So um, Kate's asked if we have any form of template for this policy. And I'm just going to, uh, I don't know if you want to answer this, Shani, but we, you have pulled together a checklist, which we're, will be available after the, the conference that we'll share with everybody. What we did, we've, we've got together a homeworking policy that um, hopefully you will be sent and that can be circulated because it's a, it's a template that, that 
people can mess around with. We're, we were thinking about the policy about um, th this issue, you know, if you travel and what happens when you come back and self-isolate. It's really dependent on what the practice wants to do. So everyone's going to be different, but we will do that. We will, we will try and give you some wording or a checklist that's, that you can kind of add to your own policies. But of course, every employer is going to treat it differently. Now, it's also, you know, it, there's a good possibility that those that can't work from home will be entitled to SSP. Um, but that's beside the point. The point is the employee is going to want to know if they're going to get paid. And so every employer is going to treat it differently. You might say, yes, we'll pay you in full. Or no, we're not going to pay you in full. You're going to have to take it as annual leave. Or you're going to have to take it as unpaid leave. Or you might want to split it and take half of it as um, unpaid leave and the other half as, as holiday. So how you manage it as an employer is entirely up to you. But whatever you decide, you need to make sure you put it, you, you attach it to your employment um, uh, policies that you currently have in place. So, you know, if you've got a uh, holiday policy or, uh, you know, a contract that says staff are entitled to X, Y, and Z in terms of holiday, just do it as a supplement to that. It will help you out enormously going forward. Sorry, Shani, just a couple more. Um, Jenny's mentioned, Jenny Doc's mentioned that Practice Index have some good templates about travel abroad, so it's worth having a look at those. Um, sorry, let's go down the list here. Let's pick them off. Um, Sharon's asked, are we allowed to ask staff if they have or have not had a vaccine? Um, that's really difficult, actually. Um, I don't think you can. Uh, you can ask, you could ask them, would you be prepared to disclose whether or not you've had the vaccine, but you can't place them under an obligation to tell you. Um, that is part and parcel of their health. I think you'd only uh, I think you'd only have to make an issue of it if you felt that um, whatever you were asking them in relation to their health would have a direct impact on the ability of them to perform their job, which this doesn't necessarily this isn't necessarily the case. It's a very it's a very sensitive one. I I would um, put it out there if you wish, but I would put it out there in very general terms. It would be helpful for us to know if you were able to do so to confirm whether or not you have actually had the vaccine. However, you are under no obligation to disclose this if you do, if you do not wish to. I think those would be the safest form of words to use if you wanted to go down that route. Someone's just asked, would that be part, would asking the vaccination status be part of the risk assessment of your staff? Um, yes, it, yes, it could be. But even if you performed a risk assessment, that's up to the employee to disclose it. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Um, there's some queries around the agency workers that uh, and information that we've given, uh, uh, you've given on this. Sorry, I'm just clicking. Uh, agency workers rates of pay. Does that mean you have to pay the same rates as regular staff if they are normally higher, e.g. Uh, agency, locum GPs, I bet it doesn't. How does it work one way and not the other? So I think what Jenny's saying there is actually usually the agency rates are higher than actually what members of staff might be on. Yeah, I think what this this was trying to tackle is agency workers that were on lower pay rather than a higher pay. Yeah. 
Um, we've just started using agency workers and we're not 100% sure what as a practice um, they, need, they need to have in place. Where can we find the information on this? Sorry, I missed that question, Michelle. What, what was that? Sorry. So I think this practice are just starting to use agency workers and not clear what they need to have in place. And is there anywhere that you, um, they can find this information? Um, well, if you're using an agency worker, you are obviously going through an agency or organisation, so you should have some terms and conditions that they will provide you. Is that what you're looking for, the, the terms and conditions of recruiting through an, agent, an agency worker? Is that, is that the question? Let's, uh, we can take this one maybe outside. I think what we're going to do, if we can't get through all of the questions today, we will do a podcast and provide the answers to these questions. So let's take that one. We might need a bit more information about that. Um, I think we're just going to come on to homeworking, so let's... Uh... Okay, um, shall we go on to the next slide, which is um, about employees refusing to wear a mask. We've had this come up quite a few times as well. Um, um, again, it, it is, at this time, it is a legal requirement in practices for staff to wear masks, obviously unless the employee is subject to one of the exemptions. Um, and it's for the employee to prove that they fall within the exemption. Um, and so they will have to bring some kind of evidence to say that they're not wearing a mask because, again, you could conduct a risk assessment if you found they fell within a, an, an exemption. They can't wear a mask. Um, back to that old chestnut that it is the employer's responsibility to make sure that their employees are safe. So what you're going to have to do is exactly the same as before, conduct the risk assessment and decide what you can do to keep them safe. And it could be uh, that they could wear a visor rather than a mask, or um, they could perform a function which um, keeps them relatively safe or having sort of, you know, plastic screens in front of them, or um, they could be working in isolation. I, I absolutely recognize that that can't always be the case, but the employer, can only do what is reasonable for the employee. They can't completely bend over backwards and do everything possible. And, and sometimes it just won't work. Um, if the employee doesn't seem to have a legitimate reason for wearing a face covering or, or just plainly refuses to wear one, then that takes us into different territory. Then we have an employee that is basically refusing to comply with a reasonable instruction as given by his or her employer. And then we're talking about going down a disciplinary route. I mean, this is, I think I've come across one case throughout the entire year that that's actually happened and it didn't actually go all the way. And they managed to resolve it. But that's, you know, employers are entitled um, to give their employees reasonable instructions particularly when it comes to their health and safety. And obviously, if they don't comply, and it, it doesn't just put, remember, the employee at risk, it could place other, other people, staff and patients at risk as well. So that needs to be weighed up. It's a difficult one because we've got to treat each, each issue on a case-by-case -case basis. There are slightly different queries that come through on this, but I can only give you a general view at the moment. Next slide. Working from home, um, again, a significant number of issues about um, staff working from home. Can they work from home? Should they work from home? When can they work from home? And what happens if they do? Um, let's make it very clear 
unless you've specifically written it into their employment contract, there is no automatic right for an employee to work from home. But if they do, for whatever reason, you as an employer still have the legal responsibility for them and their workplace. So that's why we suggested this homeworking policy, which we are going to circulate a template um, to Wessex LMC so that you can get access to it if you don't have one already. So as an employer, you would have to, as a bare minimum, ensure that their working environment was conducive for them doing their jobs. They've got to have a laptop or they've got to have a space to work in. Is it secure and safe? Um, confidentiality, you've got to remind them. Just because they're working from home doesn't mean to say that they, uh, confidentiality issues um, uh, have, you know, can be breached or they can just leave papers or documents or computer screens open for anybody to see. You've got to make it clear. And again, this is part and parcel of the uh, working from home policy. Accessing patient information securely. Um, we discussed this with the LMC recently, that N3 connections make it secure within a practice, but what about a home? And possibly some staff are provided with laptops, and these are encrypted if they're NHS laptops. It might be sufficient, but you need to ask the question about home Wi-Fi. Think about screensavers, I've mentioned this. Think about security when accessing video conferencing, particularly if you're talking about patients or there is confidential information being shared. Throughout this entire year of lockdown, everybody works online. Uh, we're all doing it now. And there are times when there are issues of confident, confidence, confidentiality, patient confidentiality, and, and staff confidentiality that are discussed. So issue, personal information belonging to other people are discussed. And so that's why I believe a home working policy is quite important. Now, you're not going to be able to visit every one of your staff who work from home to check out what does their workplace look like? Um, you know, are they leaving documents lying around? But what you can do is you can issue the home working policy and you can also issue, based on that policy, a checklist for the employee to fill in. So you can say, you know, do you have a secure environment? Yes, tick, I work from. Um, you know, have you got secure Wi-Fi? Who, who's your Wi-Fi provider? Yes, I have, blah, tick box. Um, you, you can ask them the questions um, and they can tick the boxes and say, yes, yes, yes. And then you conducted your assessment reasonably and you thought, okay, fine. Um, we feel that you're able to work from home. Next slide. I think I'm going to carry on this. However, apart from your home working policy, um, make sure that you don't discriminate between employees that want to work from home. So if you're saying to employees, well, you know, you have to work from home because you're isolating, that's different. But if you're saying to some employees, yes, you can work from home, and some employees are asking you, can they do the same thing? And you're saying, no, do be terribly careful that you're not opening yourselves up to a discrimination claim. Um, it's normally regarding age during COVID. Older members of staff in some places were given preferential treatment in terms of requesting to work from home and they said yes you can and younger people saying we're told no they can't they have to come in so just be careful of that 
It goes without saying, back on that confidentiality GDPR issue I mentioned earlier, that paper records shouldn't be removed from the practice and left in someone's home. This also includes notes made in relation to confidential information or personal information. You need to make sure that your staff are aware that they shouldn't be making notes in notebooks and just leaving them haphazardly in their de- on their desk at home. Um, Practice managers need support too. I mean, we keep talking about staff and employees, etc. But this is where you need to bring GP partners on board and make sure that they are involved in some of these decision-making process, that they are clear about um, the policies that you have in place and how you're administering them. They are the business owners and the buck will stop at them. So if there is an issue here, um, you know, they, they will have to get involved. They are the ones that will, will be sued in the end if it comes down to it. Um, very important, incredibly important, any agreement that you have with an employee to work from home must be subject to a proviso that that can be terminated at any time. At any time. So if, for example, someone is working from home, for whatever reason, you would need to say that um, we reserve the right as as the employer to revisit the consent that we've given you to work from home um, and revisit any changes that they they might have um, uh, in terms of their environment or or the issues that they've had that have made them had to work from home. So you need to make sure that you have a get out of jail card basically. Um, And make sure if you are applying that proviso, again, it's applied fairly across the board. Um, Don't forget, and I always say this, and this this doesn't just apply from um, issues about working from home or wearing masks or any of the other issues I've, I've, I've raised today about COVID. Any employment issue, anything that you do with members of staff, you ought to have an audit trail. Um, not just policies. Policies are hugely important because once you've got them in place, there's, there's no little manoeuvre room. But it's good to have an audit trail. So when I say an audit trail, I am not saying that every time you have a conversation with an employee, you then have to rush off and write a formal letter. Who's got time for that? But if you've had a conversation with an employee, and it involves an issue that's a little bit icky. It covers COVID, working from home, wearing a mask, having a vaccination, doing a risk assessment, anything at all, actually, even in terms of non-performance or poor performance, then you normally would call them in a room and have a conversation with them. And you said, look, what's going on here? Let's try and resolve this. And you'll sit down amicably. That's what normally happens. And then you forget all about it and everyone goes about their business. And then the same thing happens again and you find, oh, hang on, this hasn't been sorted at all. What tends to happen is people leave it and they leave it too long. And then when it gets incredibly chronic, they come rushing to the lawyers to say, help, what can we do? And we've had this meeting with them. We've had several meetings with this member of staff over X, Y, or Z issue. And um, when it gets to the formal part and we write to the employee and say, you've had so many meetings with your employer, they deny it. Or they deny the content of the conversation that they've had. And it becomes your word against theirs. So the simplest, easiest thing to do is if you do have an initial, an initial conversation with an employee, 
You don't want to be writing a formal letter to them. That's just complete overkill. All you need to do is just write a little email off. Dear X, thank you. Found that conversation really useful. So going forward, I think we're agreed that we'll do X, Y, and Z. But you don't have to make it formal. It's just a little note, a little gentle email that just it, it's identifies the issue in a general way. It confirms that a meeting actually did take place and it confirms that there was an issue that you discussed. I mean, even that is enough and it can be done gently. You then take a copy of it and you put it on file. I think that if you um, keep to some of these rules or adopt some of these um, hints, if you like, or, or helpful tips in terms of dealing with employees during COVID or indeed outside of COVID, um, it will go a long way to strengthening your position going forward in the event that there, an issue becomes formal or there is a claim or you've got a complaint or a grievance on your hands. I hope that's been helpful. Thanks, Shani. We have got some questions, um, but I'm very conscious. Louise has just popped up and I know that we're um, running out of time. Um, Natalie's asked about the working from home policy. Yes, there is a, um, a template and a policy example available to, that we will share with you all. There are a number of queries on here around home working, which I think can we should we pick up after the session as I don't want to um, hold hold up the other presenters. So thank you very much, Shani. That's been really, really helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle and Shani. That, that was probably always going to generate a few questions. And obviously, when we put this half an hour slot on, suddenly, obviously, the more even more sort of travel things have come up. And yeah, it always stimulates more. But we promise you that Shani and Michelle will take some time to and record some answers for you. And we will share that. Um, and we will do another one if more things come up. Um, so thank you so much, Shani. And thank you, Michelle. That's really very much appreciated.